Hello, Katawanto. Here come the Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Nikoroi Hawkins. Coming up... There's no specifics. Who were these stones being thrown at? And my goodness, why would one deploy the military in response to a couple of stone-throwing incidents? Fiji's military forces are being deployed to maintain security and stability in the country following reports of threats made against minority groups. And... Because it basically means that the process that was initiated by France a year ago after the referendum has stalled. The French government says it won't be organising another referendum in New Caledonia during the president's current five-year term. Fiji's military forces are being deployed to maintain security and stability in the country following reports of threats made against minority groups. In a statement this afternoon, Fiji's police commissioner, Siti Veningiliho, announced the move, calling it a joint decision with the commander of Fiji's military forces, Major General Tone Kalauniwai. Mr Ngiliho says their decision is based on official reports and intelligence received of planned civil unrest and the targeting of minority groups. The military deployment comes less than 24 hours after the ruling Fiji First Party made its first public statement since the December 14th election. Its Secretary-General, Ayasaid Kayum, said they respected the outcome of the election but did not recognise the validity of the opposition coalition and would not concede defeat. Joining me to again try and separate fact from fiction is John Frankel, a professor in comparative politics at the Victoria University of Wellington. Frankel has formerly worked at the University of the South Pacific in Fiji and he's the co-editor of the book The 2006 Military Takeover in Fiji, A Coup to End All Coups. Frankel is also the Pacific Islands correspondent for The Economist. I spoke with him on Thursday, shortly after the police statement was released. Fiji's military forces have been invited out by um, the Commissioner of Police, Divin Ngiliho. Um, maybe starting off, just looking at those laws, the constitution, um, what's been initiated here, and, and I guess other levels to the Fiji military's support to police as opposed to taking over uh, uh, the national security and and running the country because um, the political situation is is untenable? Well, this this deployment of the military on on the streets of of Suva and and Fiji is, it's got to be deeply regretted that they'll be using the justification in the 2013 constitution that allows the military to take responsibility for the quote-unquote welfare of the Fijian people. The um, appeal came from the police commissioner, uh, Giliho, and uh, the uh, what should be the outgoing prime minister, Frank Bainimarama, uh, and, it, and the claims were that this was response, in response to unrest uh, against minority groups in Fiji. Uh, what Giliho, the police commissioner, has reported is a couple of stone-throwing incidents in the so-called Southern Division, which is weird because there is no Southern Division in Fiji. There's only a a Central, Western, Eastern, and Northern Division. Uh, There's no specifics. Who were these stones being thrown at? And my goodness, why would one deploy the military in relation to, in response to a couple of stone-throwing incidents? Um, The um, Attorney General's press conference yesterday uh, painted a picture of the opposition as a sort of uh, red in tooth and claw uh, ethno-nationalist opposition. But anyone that's been in Fiji recently, as I have, knows very well that the opposition is actually a, 
a group of, of two multi-ethnic parties, the People's Alliance and the National Federation Party. National Federation Party was a, once a, a very Fiji Indian party has transformed itself with a lot of indigenous Fijian candidates and also uh, Fiji Indian candidates just elected for the first time, like Sashi Kiran, with enormous credibility on the western side of Fiji. The People's Alliance is not like Sadelpa, which was a largely Itake or indigenous party. It's a party with a lot of credible Fiji Indian candidates with a, a multi-ethnic message that was all about um, uh, accommodation and conciliation. It's a much more genuine message than the message coming from the Fiji First Party. So all these uh, claims are uh, unrest justifying military intervention on the streets of, of Fiji lack credibility and the timing of them uh, can be explained for political reasons, as I can explain if you wish. Yes, yes, I, I, I would like you to go on to that. Also, if you could um, just dwell a bit on, um, apart from 131.2, the, the clause about uh, protecting all, all Fijians, um, there are other additional powers um, available, or is there is there another gear up, I guess is what I'm saying, for the military's involvement in this situation? Well, I think the provision that talks about the military having responsible for the welfare of the Fijian people is deliberately very broad and has been used even, for example, to justify some military intervention in the strike of Airport Fiji Limited workers uh, a few years ago. Um, it, it's very broad-ranging, and there are no specifics, and we've yet to have a statement for the, from the commander about uh, what exactly um, he... Um, is intending to do and whether he's completely going along with the police commissioner. Let's remember that it's only a few weeks ago on December the 5th that the uh, military forces commander said it, and I quote, this is a time for us to honor the democratic process by respecting the outcome of the votes. He told his soldiers a calling out for the parade. We must remember that in not doing so, you become complicit in allowing injustice to prevail over the most vulnerable of our people. Nothing is more integral in democracy than voting. So at that point, he was defending the outcome of the election. And uh, uh, these um, claims of attacks against minority groups really do lack credibility. Um, the, uh, what, so why the timing? Why, if they really intended a sort of sneaking coup uh, uh, in response to these things, why didn't they wait a few days? Why didn't they uh, see if there were, was, were more signs of unrest? Well, critical here is the fact that on Wednesday night, sorry, Tuesday night, the um, uh, Sodelpa, the smallest of the parties with three seats that has the balance of power, decided to back the opposition coalition. That's the People's Alliance and the National Federation Party. And since then, uh, the Attorney General has given a press conference. Uh, there's been all sorts of attempts to reverse that decision by Sodelpa to try and pressurize its members to instead form a coalition that would give Fiji first government and would allow Bainimarama to remain as prime minister. Uh, you can, uh, the timing of this is surely integrally related to the attempts to reverse that decision by Sadopa, and I think you will expect uh, over the days ahead, or probably tomorrow actually, not even days ahead because we're quickly coming into the Christmas period, you, you will expect some kind of attempts to manipulate that decision by that small party uh, in order to try and uh, de defeat the opposition. Now, I would like to unpack a bit the press conference of Ayaz Syed Kayum. Um, 
The the two reasons. One is it's the first time we've heard from Fiji first since uh, the election. And and um, another reason is that he made quite a few legal arguments and uh, took, went, uh, was at pains to un- unpick why certain things were not valid with the other coalition and the, uh, sort of also um, lording it over the media as to the significance or the ultimate decision of the election being the vote for prime minister in parliament and uh, 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 sort of downplaying the importance of or the or the significance of a coalition formed outside of that floor so um, maybe if you if you if you could care to comment what what, what was your reactions to um, what I as Syed Kayum was saying uh, in his press conference uh, on Wednesday night well I think I think he, he accused the opposition of misinformation particularly but I think the misinformation is coming from the Attorney General. And basically, he fails to distinguish the legal from the political process. In the aftermath of elections under in all jurisdictions, there's a great deal of variety in how governments are chosen. Sometimes the Governor General appoints the person who commands, who is believed to command a majority in the House. Sometimes there's an actual vote in Parliament. The 2013 Constitution in Fiji makes this subject to a vote in Parliament. But the Attorney General fails to distinguish the political from the legal process. There's a political process that goes on where of the 55 MPs, um, you had uh, 26 for the People's Alliance and National Federation Party and 26 for Fiji First with the Sadelpa with three seats going with the People's Alliance and National Federation Party making 29 seats. They announced that coalition. In other words, they... Uh, the political process declares that they are have a majority, that they're ready to form a government, they write to the president, entirely legitimate to do so. The Attorney General, of course, is right that the legal process makes this subject to an investiture vote in Parliament. That's true. There's no doubt about that. But he's putting the wool over people's eyes to think that, uh, that, there, that there isn't a, a lawful government in waiting through the political process before that, legal process before the actual investiture vote. There clearly was such a such a government in waiting. And what we're seeing now is an attempt to pull the wool over people's eyes, to deploy the military. Uh, likely there will be various arrests, and, and likely we will see a sort of showcase of, uh, of Sir Dilpa um, reversing its decision and uh, uh, after perhaps the arrest of some of, it, of the um, uh, anti-Fiji first uh, Sir Dilpa MPs. Um, and, and no doubt they'll be hoping that the media will not pay much attention because we're just entering into the Christmas period. Obviously, you've just returned from from Fiji. Um, uh, you you've you attended a few rallies while you were there. The the what we've been hearing from our correspondent on the ground is not 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 only um, are these reports uh, of unrest unverified. He's, he was saying it. Um, um, he was saying it's, it's it's totally opposite to the mood. The, the mood was cele- celebratory. People were dancing in the streets, singing, and and that was sort of the mood around this whole period. So it's it's sort of at odds. And that is that the sense you got while in Fiji? Absolutely, yes. I think there was uh, there, there, there there were a lot of people in both communities who are sick to death of this Fiji first government. Uh, and they, um, I mean, if you look at what happened, it's been a gradual kind of change. The uh, uh, Fiji First back in 2014 was 
extremely popular. They got about 59% of the vote. At that point, they were doing some progressive things. They were um, doing things that improved the welfare of people, reducing the voting age to 18, introducing a proportional representation system, uh, lowering VAT on essential foodstuffs, um, um, introducing education policies and policies on buses. But after that, the sheer attempt to kind of grab power and the vindictiveness against their opponents began to sort of set in even more and began to become more obvious. They've churned their way through dozens of permanent secretaries. They've uh, got rid of loads of their own people. And you saw a major slippage of the vote from 2014 to 2018. Uh, they went down from 59% to scrape through at 50.02%. And what you've seen since 2018 is a further slippage of their vote. They've gone down to about 42.5% um, of the vote, and the opposition's got progressively stronger. The, all the new talent in Fiji politics has been coming through the ranks of the opposition. Sashi Kiran, uh, Manoa Kamekamitha, um, uh, Linda Tabuya, these are uh, figures with a significant national profile who really do present a credible alternative government in waiting. And now, and people saw all this happening, all this materializing, and now it's being stolen from them, and it's outrageous. And anyone who knows and loves Fiji cannot be neutral in this. This is not a contest between two political parties. It's a contest between the rule of law and those who would abrogate the, the rule of their own laws that they introduced. It's a contest between democracy and the forces of anti-democracy. And you can't be neutral in such a contest. The French government says it won't organize another referendum in New Caledonia during the president's current five-year term. A year ago, the then overseas minister, Sébastien Lecornu, said he planned to have a vote on a new statute for New Caledonia by June 2023. This was just after last December's third independence referendum rejected the option of full sovereignty. The vote concluded the decolonization process under the terms of the 1998 Numea Accord, but after rejection of independence, the accord requires all parties concerned to discuss a way forward. The pro-independence parties refused to recognize the last referendum result and seek talks with Paris next year to secure a timetable to attain independence. Talks on a new statute are yet to be launched, but speaking in the French National Assembly, Interior Minister Gerald Damana ruled out any further voting on the issue for five years. I spoke with senior RNZ Pacific journalist Walter Seifel, who's been following political developments in the territory, and began by asking him if this was a significant announcement. In a way it is, because it basically means that the process that was initiated by France a year ago after the referendum has stalled or has to be altered or possibly abandoned. Uh, this week, a year ago, we had the referendum and just in the days after it, the then overseas minister, Sebastian Lecorn, who said that there would be a new statute drawn up that was going to be put to a vote by June 2023. It was going to be a referendum in New Caledonia on a new statute. Now, we also know that the pro-independent side has not accepted the outcome of the referendum and uh, they have not made any indication that they are going to cooperate in the work towards a new statute because, after all, for them, the next step is New Caledonian independence. Now, am I right in saying this would be welcome news for the pro-independence but not so welcome for anti-independence? I'm not quite sure how it's going to be interpreted on the pro-independence side because after all, they have said that they want to have negotiations with France on a 
timetable to attain independence. Uh, General Diamond, I was in New Caledonia only a couple of weeks ago, and talking to all sides there, he understood that the process forward was complicated, and he said he didn't want to rush things. Now, we already had an indication back in September when the new overseas minister was there saying that the timetable could not be kept to that June 2023 deadline. Uh, the suggestion was there was still going to be a referendum, but Mr. Damana says now there's not going to be a referendum at all on this question. Uh, the understanding is that uh, the process is complicated, will take time. We have Mr. Damana saying two things. One side, he says uh, New Caledonia has a, a right to autodetermination or self-determination. And he also says that the referendum result, which is three times no, has to be respected. Uh, the understanding, of course, is that without the consent or the cooperation of the pro-independent side for the next phase, things cannot progress. Uh, what's hanging over New Caledonia now, however, is the sort of 2024 election that is supposed to go ahead in line with the pattern of five yearly elections. And uh, the question here is under what conditions will that election go ahead? Uh, for the anti-independent side, it is clear that with the rejection of full sovereignty, the electoral system has to be changed. Migrants have to be integrated into the sense that they have to be given voting rights. The pro-independent side, however, says that the provisions of the Nomia Accord that has restricted the electorate has to stay. That is an irreversible change. Uh, now, how France will try to accommodate these two rival positions is the thing that we have to look out for. And uh, somehow or another, it will have to be a constitutional change in France in order to open this electorate, something that the pro-independent side is resisting. So we're walking in a way on eggshells, awaiting now the Congress of the FLNKS of the pro-independence parties in January, after which Mr. Damanan says there will be further talks, these vaunted bilateral talks between the pro-independence camp and Paris on what the next step will be. But uh, the, the thing to take away from the current situation is that uh, Paris obviously has no plans of organizing a referendum on a new statute. Apart from that sort of election sort of timeline that you're saying, outside of the confines of something like the Nouméa Accord, it's kind of open-ended, isn't it, for France in terms of taking as much time as is needed to resolve this issue? Nouméa Accord set a timeline and uh, just the interpretation of what this accord is seems to be a, a crucial thing because for the anti-independent side, this was a temporary arrangement. For the pro-independent side, this is sort of like a, a finite uh, step towards independence. Um, no one wants to go back to the situation of the 1980s, which was so confrontational. Uh, so the, a new statute or a new arrangement has to be found. The question is just what that is going to look like. The pro-independent side considered this Numea court process launched in 1998 as sort of the final phase before they did attain independence. Uh, the Numea court ends with the provision, should there be three no's uh, for independence, then there is uh, a new situation that has arisen, which means that all the interested political parties have to discuss whatever whatever situation has arisen. So that's where we're at now. Uh, the, as I said, the anti-independent side considers the victory, which is legally solid, uh, is 
the outcome, meaning reintegration to France. The pro-independent side says, well, the Kemet people didn't vote, they boycotted, it's not the final outcome. They think that the, the situation has arisen now is just uh, finding the next and final step towards independence. Mm. Uh, yeah, but again, like what I'm saying is, unlike with that that numeric court structure, there's there's no date or timeline or have this within 20 years or do this within there's there's no no time set for which this must be carried out this could go on for a very very long time in a way yes except that we've got this 2024 election and uh, as i understand uh, something has to be said about what the the format of that election will be uh, the pro independent side thinks that the Nomi Accord is still valid with the, the restriction of the electoral body. However, it is difficult to claim within the French system and the French constitution that you have citizens in your bigger realm who lived there for 20 years and have no right to vote because they don't fit the mold that was set with the Nomi Accord of this restricted electorate. So a decision is awaited there. Uh, there's, of course, apprehension that France will unilaterally change the constitution and open up this electorate. Uh, the pro-independent side is vehemently opposed to this. Uh, uh, Paris, of course, understands that it doesn't want to uh, create conflict in this situation, but there is a risk of the arising problems should whatever arrangement that is going to be made loosening these restrictions that could cause uh, major dissent and uh, without, as I said, without the accord and, and uh, of the pro-independent side, uh, there cannot be a, a solid, stable basis for the territory's future. That's Specific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Thank you, Tomas, and you can follow up next time more.